So our passage today is in Galatians um, 3, 6 to 14. So the first thing is I just want you to go ahead and turn there today, and then um, we'll read it and then dig in. And I'll actually be starting with verse 5, because it's uh, actually the same sentence as verse 6. So, so Galatians 3, 5. Does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? Know then, it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those of faith, those who are of faith, are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the books of the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's our passage today. Um, And really, this passage is part of Paul's larger argument that we actually started last week, Um, and the argument is that salvation is based on faith, not by works. Um, So the first part of the argument was Galatians 1 to 5, um, and that was based on the Galatians' own personal experience of their salvation. And this week, we're going to be looking at the second part of his argument based on the Old Testament scriptures itself. So the text we're looking at today has three major sections. One, the blessing from the curse in Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Two, the curse from the law in Galatians 3, 10 to 12. And three, from curse to blessings in Galatians 13 to 14. And there's one um, other point I'm going to be emphasizing as we go through this uh, lesson. Um, It's a hermeneutical point. So it's a principle of single meaning. So we're going to look at six Old Testament quotations. I read, as I read the text, you might have noticed quite a few Old Testament question, uh, quotations there are. Um, and these Old Testament texts are really going to drive Paul's point. Um, Paul is going to use the author's original intended meaning uh, for the Old Testament audience to develop his argument for the Galatians. Um, he will not discover a greater fulfillment in the New Testament context that the Old Testament readers wouldn't have understood. So we're going to go ahead and start with the first section, which is um, the blessing of faith in Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Um, And we'll begin with verses 5 and 6, and I'll read them both because they're connected. And we'll talk about that in a second. So, does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there are three main points that can be derived um, from this verse describing the nature of the way of faith. First, Abraham is a prescriptive example of the way of faith. Second, 
faith resulted in righteousness. And third, righteousness was deposited as a gift. It was not earned. And I'm going to walk through um, each one of these uh, main points in this verse that we can drive about the nature of faith. So first, Abraham is a prescriptive example of the way of faith. The reason we know this is because the conjunction in the text just as. Uh, It's actually the Greek word kathos, um, and kathos uh, function as an adverbial comparator. Um, And what it does is it initiates a dependent clause that modifies the verb of the main clause. You might be lost by that, but don't worry, I'll explain. So um, the phrase, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness, is a dependent clause that modifies the verbs supplies and works in verse 5. This means that Abraham's example is being used to describe how the Galatians were supplied with the Spirit and had miracles worked among them. So that just basically means that the quotation from Abraham, Abraham is using to help us understand the Galatians, is not, um, it's helping us understand the Galatians, not the other way around. Um, the way the, um, uh, the Galatians uh, have received the Holy Spirit is not <laughs> referencing to how Abraham was saved. Um, Abraham lived before the Holy Spirit was given uh, to dwell in believers. That actually occurred after Christ's resurrection. Um, Abraham never had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit during his life on earth in the way the Galatians did. But the Galatians were justified in the way Abraham was. So it makes sense for Paul to talk about the Spirit um, as a primary evidence of salvation uh, in the age of the church and to then uh, connect that with faith being credited as righteousness, which is a primary evidence of salvation um, in the age of the patriarchs. Second, faith resolved in righteousness. Um, We know this because the pronoun it uh, in the text actually represents Abraham's belief. So if I took out all the pronouns and put in the proper nouns, it could actually read, and Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted Abraham's belief to Abraham as righteousness. And this is really important um, because what, Abraham, uh, what God cre- credited Abraham as righteousness was not his works, but his belief in God's work. Abraham's faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. The text does not read, and God credited Abraham's works as righteousness. Rather, God responded to Abraham's belief. This is the way of faith, and it always has been. Third, uh, the righteousness deposited is a gift not earned. We know this because the Greek word, oh boy, logi zoimai. Okay, it's a long word. It's the word that's translated as counted in the text. So logi zoimai means to be credited, to become attributed, or reckoned as an asset in someone's financial account. And when something is credited, um, it means someone deposits something into another's account, something that was previously not considered a financial asset is now considered one. Uh, So in this passage, Abraham was previously considered as unrighteous, um, but now Abraham is being credited with righteousness. And I want to emphasize that neither of these words convey the idea of earning or deserving the new assets. Rather, these assets are considered by another party to be credit. Abraham did not earn righteousness. Um, Rather, it was received by faith. God saw Abraham's faith and decided to credit it to him as righteousness. Abraham did not deserve this righteousness. This righteousness was a gift from God. So the Old Testament quotation is, we'll look at this real quick, is from Genesis 15, 6. Um, First, we're going to look at how the Old Testament authors used it for Genesis. 
Um, and then we're going to look at how Paul uses it in his argument in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. So in the passage, Abraham is fearing that Elier of Damascus will be his heir. Uh, according to Paul in Romans 4.19, Abraham was about 100 years old at this time, and his wife was about 90. Um, he has no children, and the probability of Abraham and his uh, wife Sarah having a child is, from a human standpoint, well, impossible. Um, yet God promised that this would not be so. He instead told Abraham that his own biological son will be his heir, and that his descendants will number as the stars in the sky. Um, the object of Abraham's faith was not his own ability, but the ability of God to fulfill what seemed impossible. Despite what was in impossibility, Abraham got, responded to um, God's promise with faith. He believed that what God said would occur. And God responded to that faith by crediting it to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham was not saved by making promises to God, but by believing the promises of God. So this really drives our Old Testament use. Um, and the use is actually to portray Abraham's means of justification and to provide Abraham as an example of the way of faith. So in the book of uh, Genesis, Abraham's justification by faith precedes his circumcision. Abraham believed God before he was circumcised. And circumcision, you know, could be seen, especially in this time with the um, circumcision party, as kind of the act that set, you know, Abraham and all of Israel apart. Um, but the reality is, is Genesis portrays circumcision as a sign of Abraham's righteousness, not the other way around. Um, circumcision is not a means of righteousness to itself, but faith in God's work is a means of righteousness. Abraham was first a man of faith before he was, in that sense, a Jew. And then uh, we'll talk quick about the New Testament use. So in the same way that Moses uh, included the example of Abraham in the Pentateuch to testify to the way of faith, Paul is going to use Abraham's example of justification to remind the Galatians of how they were saved. Paul is going to use Abraham as a prescriptive example of how they were saved, through faith by God's grace. The righteousness that comes from faith is what enabled the Galatians to receive the Holy Spirit and have miracles worked among them. Um, and I'm just going to go down a quick rabbit hole. This will only take a second. Um, but I have an important point to make here, and I already mentioned it once. The way in which the Old Testament saints were saved is the same as the New Testament saints. It's always been and always has been by faith. And this is best explained by Hebrews 11 to uh, 1 to 2, and you can turn there if you'd like, but I'm going to go quickly because I don't have much time. So in Hebrews, uh, the author of he uh, Hebrews actually argues this exact point. Um, he creates a commentary on a number of Old Testament saints, including Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Daniel, Samuel, you get the point, all of whom lived and breathed by faith. Um, and the passage, the first two verses read like this. Uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. By faith the people of old receive their commendation. The way has always been by faith, not by works. And if you do a study of the Old Testament, you can actually study those individual people and see little hints, just as we see in what we just looked at in Genesis 15.6. But I don't have time for that, so we're moving on. Um, Galatians 3.7 is the next verse. Know then those of faith who are sons of Abram. 
And what verse 7 does is it, it works to display the same conclusion that we've already came to. Uh, Abram is a prescriptive example of the way of faith. The conjunction then is the Greek word ara, and it functions as a logical inferential conjunction. And this just means that the purpose of the verse is to draw a logical conclusion based on what was previously said. Um, the logical conclusion is that those of faith are sons of Abram. And this conclusion should be no surprise to us based on what I already mentioned, the conjunction kathos, or just as working on, or doing in verse 6. Um, because the Galatians were saved in the same way as Abraham, Abraham, and what I'm doing right now is I'm going to be emphasizing, explaining what it means that those of faith are sons of Abraham. So, um, because the Galatians were saved in the same way as Abraham, Abraham becomes, in a sense, their father um, in the way of faith. But the sonship described in this text is not referring to a biological sonship between father and son. Um, but rather, the relationship is more like a predecessor and heir kind of deal. Uh, this simply conveys the idea that um, Abraham was an early member of the way of faith before the Galatians themselves became members. Um, and thus, he became a forefather of the current endeavor of faith. It's the same reason why we might be called, you know, inclined to call George Washington our father, although we probably have no biological ties to him himself. It's because he was the first one to begin, or one of the first ones to begin, in our endeavor to live as members of the United States of America. It's the same idea. That's the use here. So we'll move quickly on to Galatians 3.8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And what Paul's doing here is he's using verse 8 to communicate the longevity of God's plan. Justification by faith has always been God's plan. And that to any of faith. Um, and to display this, Paul you know, quoted from Genesis uh, 12, 3. When Abraham was, in the context is when Abraham was called out of paganism. Um, and this passage is um, used in the book of Genesis to communicate God's plan for Abraham. God promised for the first time to make Abraham into a great nation that would later become Israel. God also proclaimed that all nations would be included in his blessedness. The specific uh, fulfillment in the person of Christ was unknown to Abraham, or well, we don't know exactly, it's unclear. Um, but the progressive clarification of God's plan was at work. Um, and the Old Testament readers may have not known the exact time or place in which this promise would be fulfilled, but it was clear that God was at work somehow through his work in Abram. All the nations would be blessed through Abram's offspring. And finally, the New Testament use. Uh, this passage was used by Paul to communicate to the Gentiles that from the very beginning of Abram's call, God planned to include the Gentiles in his blessing. This is the same Abram who would later become the father of the entire Israel nation through which their promises originate. Um, Abraham was chosen as an instrument of God to carry out God's plan of grace in Christ. God chose Abraham not only to be the ancestor of the offspring prophesied in Genesis 3.15, but he also chose him to be an example of the way of faith. So on to Galatians 3.9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the conjunction that's translated so then is the Greek conjunction hoste, um, which means in order that. 
And this sentence is functioning as a logical inferential, which we already talked about, is drawing another logical conclusion. Um, and the conjunction works to tie Paul's argument into a single conclusion. And this is kind of the, his thought process. If the Galatians were saved in the same way as Abraham, then those of faith become heirs of Abraham. And finally, which is this verse right here, the heirs of Abraham would receive the blessing of Abraham then. And what is the blessing of Abraham? That those of faith are included in. Well, it's exactly what we saw in verse 6. God depositing righteousness into his account. This is the blessing of Abraham through the seed of the offspring Christ. And this leads to our main point number one. Those of faith are deposited with righteousness. Any in the way of faith, even Gentiles. And this leads us to our second section, part two, the curse of the law. Um, And this section of the text really works to answer the question, why salvation can be only found through faith. And we know that because the conjunction um, for is the Greek word uh, gar. And it's functioning as a logical explanatory conjunction. And this really just means that it's functioning to explain something that's already been stated as true. It's not trying to draw a conclusion in its own right, but it's providing supportive evidence to a conclusion that has been made. Um, This conjunction is used to support why those of faith receive righteousness instead of those, or righteousness through Abraham's blessing, instead of those under the law. So this section um, from verse 10 to 12, we're going to see two major points or lines of argument from Paul, displaying that main point number two, spoiler, the law offers no hope, only a curse. So the two main points of lines of argument are one, all under the law are cursed. Main point number two, no one can be justified by the law. So we'll start with Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So this verse is going to first begin with a statement, and then Paul's going to prove it by an Old Testament quotation. Um, And the idea which... uh, So his statement is that all under the law are cursed. Uh, The works of the law provide the very opposite effect of the way of faith. Instead of providing the participants with God's deposit of righteousness, which is the outcome of the way of faith, it instead offers a full deposit of not God's righteousness, but God's wrath for their unrighteousness. And this idea is drawn out by the quotation from Deuteronomy 27, 26. And the context is that Israel would read, uh, or well, when they crossed over Jordan, Moses commanded them to read a small excerpted section that represents the whole Mosaic law. And after each proclamation was read, all the people would affirm what was said by saying amen, affirming themselves to the full ramifications of this covenant. By saying amen, the Israelites affirmed the law, promised to obey it, and agreed that if they failed, they justly deserved judgment. Um, The final and concluding statute is our quotation from uh, Deuteronomy 27-26 found in Galatians 3.10. And it reads like this. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. There are two important observations I want to make from this Old Testament quotation. Um, And it really represents the nature of the law. 
First, all who fail to meet this requirement are cursed. And second, the law requires an active obedience. Observation one, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And the point here is rejecting the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant offers no solution. There is no escape from God's wrath. Ignorance is not a solution. All are cursed under the law unless they have faith or in the way of faith are counted as righteous. Jeremiah 11, uh, 3 um, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant. Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant. Still cursed. Observation two. The Israelites are not only to avoid breaking the law, but are called to positively obey um, the law by their actions. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. You cannot obey, obey the law by just avoiding certain sins. Um, the law can only be fulfilled by positively serving the Lord. And I, there's a whole bunch of Old Testament quotations I want to have here, but I don't have time. But the sense in which um, this can be seen, the act of demands can be seen here, is probably best represented in the Shema, actually, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 8. And I'll just read it real quick. And I want you to listen for the active nature that is being demanded on the Israelites in this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The law requires complete and utter submission to God's ways with our whole being. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the crushing demand of the law, being propelled totally by a love for the Lord. And the Old Testament use of this text is clear. Um, the Old Testament audience would have clearly seen that the all-encompassing demands of the law that Israel is entering into. This inability to fulfill the law is actually a major theme we can find throughout the entire Pentateuch. Again and again, Israelites are going to be found making a covenant with God and then breaking it. Um, in fact, in a similar setting in Joshua 24, 1-22, the people came together to reestablish a covenant before the Lord, and Joshua actually told them, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Joshua acknowledged Israel's inability to fulfill the law by their works. And in Deuteronomy uh, ten sixteen. In the same book, we find um, a quotation from Moses in which he says, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And this is exactly what the Israelites needed, uh, a changed heart. But the Israelites were not able to complete this change. So instead, God promised he would. In Deuteronomy 36, Moses, in his final speech before he died, which is actually right near our quotation, same section kind of, he said, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. 
The inability of the Old Testament Israelites is clear from the testimony of Scripture. The demand of the law was too all-encompassing. They could not love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and might. They're simply incapable of this action. To love God, they needed God's action. They needed Christ's propitiation. And the New Testament use is very much the same as the Old. Paul uses the Old Testament quotation to display the all-encompassing nature of the law. Constant active obedience to God supplied by a love of God in our whole being. No one can fulfill the demand of the law. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Now we're going to move on to Galatians 3.11, which we're going to see our second line of evidence. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And this is the second piece of evidence Paul is going to use to explain why righteousness can only be achieved in the way of faith. So first, we saw that all under the law are cursed, and now no one can be justified by the law. And we know this um, because the conjunction now is Greek word de, uh, and it's functioning as a logical connective, and this just, can, um, much like and, um, and it conveys the connection of Paul's logical train of thought with an idea on the same level. So in the same pattern as Galatians 3, we're going to see another assertion, and then he's going to work to kind of prove how that is true. Um, the quotation is from Habakkuk 2.4, and to really understand this, I need to give you a really, really quick brief overview of Habakkuk. So um, Habakkuk begins uh, the book by questioning why God was slow to judge Israel's sins. Habakkuk 1-4, he experienced the perversion of justice and the law being paralyzed in Israel. Um, and God responded in a very challenging way to Habakkuk. God told him that he would use the Assyrians to judge Israel. And this would be really surprising to Habakkuk because the Assyrians were even more wicked than Israel was. Um, they had way more grotesque acts of wickedness. And this leads to a second complaint from Habakkuk. Why do you remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Which is from Habakkuk 1, 1 to 13. Or 1, 13. So in essence, um, Habakkuk is questioning how God's justice is carried out in time. First, Israel's sins are rampant, um, without any hint of justice. And now an even more wicked nation than Israel is going to get to plunder Israel while their sins are being unpunished and even seem to be rewarded. How can this be true justice? That's the question. And part of God's response is found in our quotation in Habakkuk 2.4. God contrasts the wicked's arrogance with the righteous's faith in God. Habakkuk 2.4 Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. God is trying to encourage Habakkuk to see the distinction between the wicked and the righteous. When the wicked are arrogant, the righteous live by faith. God is trying to encourage Habakkuk to live by faith to trust God's work and timing. To do this, God makes a comparison between the Assyrians, who are boastful, thinking God will never respond to their wicked deeds in judgment, and the proper response of the righteous to trust God's justice would be carried out swiftly, even when it cannot be seen in time. The Old Testament use of this text is to proclaim this reality. When the righteous men cannot see God's ways, they need to live by faith. They need to trust God will act in his way and timing. 
This is the way of the righteous. And this actually aligns with Habakkuk's conclusion at the end of the book. Habakkuk three seventeen to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Now we'll be on to the New Testament use. Paul uses Habakkuk 2.4 to show the principle of the righteous living by faith. Both the Assyrians and the circumcision party are living by their sight. In both cases, their trust is not in God's work. The Assyrians think God will uh, not act and punish them for their wicked deeds. The circumcision party believes they need to do things to earn God's to earn righteousness. The reality is the same in the Old Testament and the New. The righteous live not by sight, but by faith in God's work. Habakkuk is encouraged to trust God's timing for justice. God will act. So we are exhorted to trust God's way, in this case, for our justification. The way of the righteous is to live by faith. The righteous are to trust in God's work, not our own. This is exactly Paul's point in Galatians 3.11. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Or in other words, God does not see anyone as righteous because of the law. Galatians 3.12. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And this verse actually acts as the second part of Paul's uh, evidence that no one is justified before God by the law. So there's two lines of argument. First, he argued that the righteous, or the way of faith, um, the way of the righteous is by faith. And now he's going to argue that the way of faith, or the way of the law, is by sight. So the way of the righteous is by faith, the way of the law is by sight. Um, and this is made uh, evident by the conjunction but, which is again the Greek word de, but it's actually functioning as a contrastive in this case. Um, and that just means that, you know, again, there's a continuation of Paul's thought, but now um, it's in, an idea opposed to that displays a contrast instead of something that lines up. So Paul's going to use this verse to contrast the way of the righteous with the way of the law. Paul wants to be absolutely crystal clear that the way is of faith and the way of the law, they're, they're in stark contrast. So Paul's main point is that the law is of a different nature than faith. And to prove this, Paul provides an Old Testament quotation from Leviticus 18.5. And it's found in a section that calls for Israel to be holy um, by obeying all the laws that God has given them. So Leviticus 18.5. Uh, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So similar to the context of Deuteronomy 27, this verse offers life to those who obey all of God's statutes and rule. If Israel could fulfill all of God's demands, they would indeed have life. God's law does promise life to those who can follow them. The only problem is no one can, or only one can, Christ. The Old Testament use was to show the result of obedience to the law. If you can truly obey the law, you truly are righteous and will be blessed. But if you fail, you receive his curse. This is the nature of the law, obedience or disobedience. Under the law, you have no choice. You do. Your hope is only tied to your own ability, your actions. Moses is clearly portraying the reality of the law to the Israelites. 
The Old Testament reader, however, would be able to see clearly that Israel's failure again and again to keep this law. The nature of the law portrays the hopelessness of man. And in the New Testament, Paul uses this law to distinguish it from the way of faith. The way of faith is through trust in God's work, not your own. The way of faith is only through the realization of our complete inability to fulfill the law with our own actions. Then we turn to another's work, someone's work that is completely not our own. Galatians 2.19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. In this passage, Paul uses the Old Testament quotation to clearly display his point. The way of the faith and the way of the law are not the same. They have two completely different focuses, two completely different hopes. The law puts its hope in man when faith puts its hope in God. Under faith, you do not try to deserve God's merit. Rather, you trust in his work to deposit into your account through the work of another Christ. So in this text, Paul describes the reason righteousness is by faith in two ways. First, if you rely on the works of the law, you are not blessed, but cursed. Second, you cannot be justified before the law. The righteous shall live by faith when those under the law live by sight in their own ability to do. The works of the law and the way of faith are completely different covenants. One condemns and one truly offers hope. And therefore, we can be justified only be justified by faith in God's work. Four, main point number two, the law offers no hope, only a curse. Which brings us to a last section, uh, from curse to blessing, Galatians three thirteen to 14. Um, and this section really seeks to explain what makes the f- way of faith work. It has been established that the way to righteousness is through faith, but how does faith nullify the covenant that we're condemned under in the law? It brings a curse on all people. How does that transfer to righteousness, blessing? If the justice of God is displaying the law accurately, how are we removed from the curse of the law? And how can we receive blessings instead of curses? How can we be just, or God be just, yet bless the wicked? The answer is through Christ's propitiation. God's just demands of the law are satisfied through the payment of Christ on our behalf. This is what we'll see in the last two verses of the text. Main point number three, Jesus Christ is our propitiation. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul's going to start the section of the text with an assertion. The reason we can receive righteousness is because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And this really illustrates the three parts of the statement that I want to make observations on. First, what Christ did, Christ redeemed us. Second, why Christ did, from the curse of the law. And lastly, how Christ did, by becoming a curse for us. What Christ did, Christ redeemed us. Christ took us out from the burden of the crushing weight of the law into the grace of faith. He provided a way in which we can be credited with righteousness as Abram was. It was through Christ's work. What Christ, why Christ did. Christ redeemed us because we are cursed. Our failure to fulfill the all-encompassing demands of the law put a curse on our shoulders. So in God's justice, Christ had to redeem us from the weight of the law, from the curse of the law, or we would be crushed in the way of faith found void. And how Christ did? Christ redeemed us by taking 
the weight of the very curse we deserved, we would be crushed under God's opposition. But Christ, God's own Son, who indeed is God himself, could bear the load we cannot. And this assertion is followed by the Greek conjunction hati, which is usually translated as that or because in English, and it functions as an adverbial causal. And this means the conjunction is being used uh, in the depend clause to you know, describe the reason why something occurred. Um, what allowed Christ to redeem us from the law, what satisfies God's justice, was the context of this Old Testament quotation. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The quotation is from Deuteronomy 21:23, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. A few observations. What type of people qualify to be hung on a tree? If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, who decides to hang them on a tree, and you, the Israelites, hang him on a tree, yet who does the text say that the man is cursed by? For a hanged man is cursed by God. This process was conducted by Israel to display the visible consequences of covenant faith, faithlessness. When a man committed a crime that was punishable by death, and usually for, it was for an especially horrible crime, um, after the man was killed, he would be also charged that he would be hung up on a tree for all to see. This process was to symbolically display the curse of God on that person and to any who follow in his footsteps. The Old Testament use is simple. It displays the symbolic curse of God on all lawbreakers who were hung up on a tree through this Old Testament law process. The corpse hanging from the tree displayed the cost of the man's lawlessness, which was, in turn, promised to all who followed his path. In the New Testament, use this quotation, Paul is not saying that the commandment um, literally found its fulfillment in Christ, or that it meant one thing to the Israelites, but now has a greater fulfillment in Christ. Christ clearly did not go through this Old Testament law process. Uh, he didn't even meet the qualifications for being hung on a tree. Christ lived a sinless life that deserved none of God's wrath, yet Christ was hung on a tree. Notice Paul's reference um, does not even match the same wording as the original Old Tes- Testament text. Instead, Paul adds to the word everyone. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And this displays the sense in which Paul is using this uh, quotation. He's working off the symbolic association the Israelites made with God's wrath to everyone who did hang on trees. Um, Paul is going to use this Old Testament association with God's wrath as an analogy to illustrate his point. As a man on the tree would symbolically display God's wrath, so Christ's death on a tree symbolically displayed God's wrath on him. Paul's point in the quotation is clear. Christ took God's wrath for us. Christ took God's curse for us. And we were redeemed by him. This is Christ's propitiation on our behalf. Christ took the curse we deserved and thus became a curse for us, removing us under the condemnation of the law. Thus, Paul's quotation explains in part how Christ redeemed us. And his assertion is validated. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. But this is not where Christ stopped. If Christ stopped here, we'd be left as we are. Sure, we'd be saved from God's wrath, but we would not get his favor either. Nullifying the law is only part of the work of sal- God's work of salvation in our lives. And the next half of propitiation is in verse 14. 
so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. This last verse works to tie up everything we've talked about so far back to the context of Galatians 3.5. It will communicate how Christ's redemption resulted in the Galatians being both credited with righteousness and receiving the clearest New Testament reality of our salvation, the Holy Spirit. The conjunction so that in the text is the Greek conjunction eva, uh, eva, which can be translated in order that, so that. It functions as an adverbial purpose statement, which I've mentioned many times, the same thing. It just means that the conjunction is creates a dependent clause that describes the purpose of the previous statement. Essentially, what's happening is Paul's describing the purpose of Christ's redemption. It is not only to remove us from the burden of the law, but it also provides a blessing so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come. The blessing we've already stated is making clear reference to the positive deposit of righteousness that God puts into our account as a result of faith. Christ's death enabled that reality. He lived the perfect life of righteousness that merits a positive blessing from God. And this is because of his complete fulfillment of the entirety of the Old Testament law. He truly loved God with all his heart, soul, and might. The blessing Christ earned is then deposited in our account as righteousness. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and thus greatly blesses us with all spiritual blessings. And this blessing is not through the heredity of Abram, but it is through the means of faith. Any in the way of faith have this promise to believe, even Gentile sinners. The second case of this conjunction is so that, is again, Eva, Eva. It also uh, initiates an adverbial purpose statement. Um, That's its use. Um, But in this case, it doesn't modify the main clause, but it actually modifies the last adverbial clause. So the blessing of Abraham might come so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Um, And this is a great way to wrap up the text. Paul began Galatians 3 by focusing on the role of the spirit, and now he ends his scriptural defense of the way of faith by describing how we are enabled to receive the Holy Spirit. The reason Paul continues to mention the Holy Spirit is significant. The Holy Spirit and his work is the clearest testimony of salvation in the church age. The Holy Spirit is enables, um, the Holy Spirit not only enables the response of faith through regeneration, but he also practically brings to completion the work of salvation in a believer's life, implying both sanctification and justification. Having, Galatians 3.3, begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? The Holy Spirit is a crucial part of a believer's life, one that practically works out salvation in us. Thus, Paul ending this text with the greatest spiritual blessing a believer can receive, the personal indwelling of God himself.